Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Good morning. Our scripture reading for today is Genesis 16, verses 7 through 13. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to Hagar, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fists against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Melissa Pillman. I'm an elder at Missio Day Wrigleyville, and we're so glad you're here with us. Happy Mother's Day to the moms out there. If you forgot it was Mother's Day, you're welcome. You still have all day to fix it, and you can just blame the pandemic brain that the days are meshing together. But if you are a mom, I want to just honor you now and remind you your labor is not in vain. All of the love and service that you pour out, I pray that you are honored today. But also for many people, this is a really hard day. I wanna also stop and honor those who feel an amplified sense of loss on Mother's Day. All around, the topic of motherhood is complicated, isn't it? With children or without. It can be a complicated, tender topic and a tender day. So perhaps it's fitting that today of all days, we find ourselves in our series talking about Hagar. We're in a series that we're calling Fire by Night because we're going through the Bible and we're talking through stories of how God is revealed even in dark places, wilderness moments. And in the story of Hagar, she almost can feel like a hiccup a mistake or an interruption in the larger story of Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham is indeed celebrated throughout all of scripture of being a man of great faith. Back in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham away from his family, away from the land that he knows and says to go to this new land where I am leading you. And through you, God says, I will make a great nation, a nation through whom all the world will be blessed. And Abraham went, he trusted the Lord, and he went along with his wife, Sarah. But the problem was they were still childless. So Abraham asks God, how can this be? Is my servant going to inherit everything? I have no child. But God says to Abraham, you will have a son of your own heir. Your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness because of his faith. And time passes and there still is no baby. So Sarah comes up with a plan. Since she isn't getting pregnant, 
she decides to give her slave, Hagar, to Abraham. And Sarah says, perhaps I can have children through her. Now, I think all of us can agree that a plan like this has warning signs all over it to cause problems. But the truth is that in this culture, in the ancient Near East, polygamy was a thing. People, men, would have multiple wives sometimes, and concubines even, and a barren wife was legally able to have this kind of arrangement happen, and the child would be considered her child rather than the servant's. Even if it's not culturally shocking to them, like it certainly is to us, it still is an awful situation for Hagar to be in. And it's an emotionally complicated situation for Sarah to be in. It's all just messy business. Now I acknowledge to you, I used to kind of breeze by this story of Hagar as kind of a hiccup in the larger story. And I credit a deeper understanding and a deeper appreciation of Hagar to Carolyn Custis James in her book, The Lost Women of the Bible. She focuses in on this one little line that actually tells us so much about this woman. In Genesis 16:1, we learn that Sarah has an Egyptian servant named Hagar. Now, Allow me to skip to another portion of scripture for just a moment. It'll make sense in a minute. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.28, he writes to the church and he says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, the reason that Paul had to say this to the church was that because those factors, those uh, cultural markers had a difference in your power uh, dynamic where you stood on the social ladder. But now because of Jesus, that could not be. Those things were all flattened. There was no more power dynamic within the church. The reason Paul has to point this out is because of all of history, these things mattered for your social standing. So where is it that Hagar finds herself in social standing? She's on the losing side of all of those markers. Male or female, she's female in a patriarchal society ruled by men. She's already uh, voiceless in that realm. Jew or Gentile, she's a Gentile. She's from Egypt. She's a foreigner in a foreign land. Slave or free, she's a slave. In all of these rankings, she loses. Most think that most likely Hagar as a slave was acquired by Abraham in the story that is related in Genesis 12. And I have to pause here and tell you a few months ago, Audrey, our 12-year-old daughter, and I were reading through this narrative of the book of Genesis and we kept stopping like every night and just looking at each other like, what was that? They're acting terribly towards each other. What is going on here? And this story is one of those moments that causes us pause. Quick version, Abraham and Sarah are in Egypt due to famine in their land. Abraham is worried that he will be mistreated because Sarah is a beautiful woman. And he thinks if Pharaoh notices her and wants her, he will hurt Abraham as Sarah's husband. And so he says to Sarah, just say you're my sister and then we'll be safe. And sure enough, Pharaoh catches word of this beautiful woman, takes her into his palace and blesses her brother, Abraham, with many gifts. Scripture tells us, then Pharaoh gave Abraham many gifts because of her, sheep, goats, cattle, 
male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. This nasty story on Abraham's part, and he's given abundant gifts, gifts of property, including female servants. Not only is Hagar a slave, but she has been ripped from people that she has known her whole life, all that is familiar, her home, her family. She has been transferred to this stranger along with livestock. She's surrounded by the donkeys and the goats as they're traded away and just handed off. She has no voice. In this culture, she has no value except to be used as a tool in the hand of her mistress to accomplish the desires that they intend to have an heir. And the relational strife, of course, continues. Hagar becomes pregnant. She who had no voice suddenly has the one thing Sarah has always wanted so badly, and Hagar knows it. And she starts treating Sarah with contempt. Sarah, in return, starts treating Hagar so badly that she runs away. And by the way, where's Abraham? He's confronted with this situation and basically throws up his hands and says, leave me out of it. So in the midst of this relational mess, we see a remarkable encounter. An angel of the Lord finds Hagar in the wilderness by a spring and calls her by name. First of all, the angel of the Lord finds her That suggests seeking, looking, going after and pursuing until he finds her. Next, notice this, he calls her by her name. Nowhere in the rest of the text do we hear Abraham or Sarah refer to Hagar by name. The angel of the Lord calls her by name. He knows her name. He tells her, go back, you'll have a son. You're to name him Ishmael, which means God hears because the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Now, David Wagner talked about this two weeks ago. A name matters. A name has prophetic value. More than a name, it's it's a prophetic statement of truth, right? So every time she speaks this name, Ishmael, she is declaring a truth. God hears. God hears my cries of distress. And she's just experienced this firsthand in this encounter, a very important truth about the nature of God. He really does hear me because he came and he found me and responded to my cries. And how does she respond to this remarkable encounter? Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me, El Roi in Hebrew. See, she matters. She has intrinsic value to the Lord. She is an image bearer in the eyes of the Lord, even if her culture tries to tell her otherwise for all the reasons we mentioned before. The Lord honors the voice of the voiceless and heard her. And the result is that she feels seen, truly seen, known. I wanna point out two things here that I find remarkable. First, I love the escalation of her realization about the nature of God in this. It escalates, right, in her declaration. Yes, you told me, you heard me, and I know that now to be true, but I also affirm you actually see me. You truly see me. Has she ever felt seen in her life? 
She's property traded alongside of livestock. You don't just hear me. You've seen me. It's a huge statement that she makes about the intimate, knowing nature of our God. So that's the first thing. I have been seen by you. The second thing that I think is remarkable to point out is that Hagar is the only person, male or female, in all of the Old Testament to give a new name to the Lord. Female, slave, foreign, Gentile, ascribes to the Lord a new name. Remember, a name matters. And not only does the Lord accept this new name given by Hagar, but it also is Hagar's testimony about this encounter that is passed down through the generations and eventually recorded through all of scripture to shape our understanding of this God. God throughout history is a God who sees me, who sees you, all of you. I have a somewhat silly illustration, so bear with me for a minute, but as I was thinking about this, what it means to be fully seen, I couldn't help but to think about this new wardrobe category that I find myself in most days these days. I'm calling it Zoom wear. And what it means is that I have a sweater on and I brush my hair and maybe straighten at least the front of my hair, maybe throw on a little mascara. But from the waist down, I am in sweatpants and slippers because I know I am not being fully seen as I spend my days and my evenings on Zoom calls. And it's a silly illustration, but I think that that's what it feels like to know that it's really hard to be fully seen. It certainly is true in this pandemic and in the state we find ourselves in now, but even in regular life, aren't there times where you can feel really unseen, not fully known, maybe overlooked or maybe intentionally hiding back something, even with closest friends or family? maybe something that's just too hard or too vulnerable to expose. And that stuff in relationships in our normal life can accidentally inform how we believe God is in relationship with us, that we are partially seen or known. But what about the ugly stuff? What about the hopes and dreams that aren't fulfilled or feel too scary to think about? What about losses and grief? What about anger? and doubt, especially those directed towards God. Where do we put those in front of our relationship with God to be fully seen there? It's already known. God already sees and knows all of it and loves you still without bounds, without limits. You can hear this in a psalm, Psalm 139, written by David. David's life was really complicated, including some serious mess-ups. But in that psalm, David says, Oh Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. He goes on and on about this intimate knowledge on all aspects of our lives and how this is something to be celebrated. It's not something that's scary. To be honest, I think the scary part is to ask the question, but what if God fully sees me and yet the situation remains unchanged? What does that mean about God? That's what I was sitting in with most of the week as I was looking at this story of Hagar because that's exactly what happened to her. The situation at home had not changed. 
Yet she testifies that she knows that she is seen by God. She testifies about it, and it reminded me of this. Dark times do not indicate an absence of God. Dark times remind us that God's story is still being written. That's what I hear as the Lord tells Hagar, go back. The story isn't done. My promise is still yet to be fulfilled. Go back. Even if the situation is not yet changed, I am still at work. Go back. There's a promise still, a promise of a people, a promise of a nation through which all the world will be blessed a lineage that will lead to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Romans 8, dramatically paraphrased by me right now, reminds us that while the story is still being written, we are indeed joining with all of creation with a groaning, with a longing for our future hope. Don't you feel that in these dark times? This is affirmed, it's true. There's a longing for a fullness of a future that still is to come. And we are with the Holy Spirit because of Jesus to help us in our weakness while we're waiting. We have a future hope, even when there's groaning in the waiting. Dark times do not mean that God is absent. Dark times just remind us that God's story is still being written. And you are written into that story. And you are seen and loved by God in the midst of it. The fullness is still yet to come. This time has been very challenging and strange for me with my mother's heart, my pastor's heart for this church. It's been very hard to not be able to see you, but you are seen by God, and that's far more important. I like to have an application or a word of encouragement to help make things feel better, but I don't. I just have Hagar's testimony. God sees you. And that matters. It matters so much. Hagar testified to this profound truth. And now, rather than share any other application, I just sit under her declaration and receive this as a profound truth over my life today. And I pray the same for you. Now, as we transition back towards worship, I want us to also hear the testimony of a beloved member of our community who will help us to hold hope with the story of how they have been seen still by God, even amidst dark times. I had been struggling with chronic anxiety and depression at the start of this quarantine. And as the days turned into weeks of us being tucked inside of our home, my depression and anxiety were worsening. At the start of the quarantine, I felt led to be reading the Psalms. I had once heard somebody say that the book of Psalms is is filled with God's acts of provision and rescue for his people. And provision and rescue felt like themes that I needed to be steeped in, given how I was feeling depressed and anxious. A few Thursdays ago, I woke up feeling especially anxious. I was crying a lot and I couldn't articulate why. And so I did the only thing I knew to do and I prayed. And I asked God to rewire my brain. I asked him to give me abundantly anything that I was depleted in. I asked him to lessen anything I had too much of. And then I just prayed scripture over myself 
And all of these beautiful psalms came to mind. And so I prayed Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And Psalm 145, he loves that, that which he has made. And Psalm 46, he is our refuge and strength. And Psalm 27, he is our light and salvation. And Psalm 119, he deals bountifully with his servants. And I let those scriptures just wash over me. And slowly within hours, I felt a quietening of my spirit. I felt calm, I felt peace. This is how I sometimes live. Sometimes I feel depressed and sad. Sometimes I feel anxious and scared and lost. But this is who I always am. I am known, I am loved, and I am seen by my creator, my protector, my provider, my healer, my deliverer, my God, my Father in heaven. Thanks be to God. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.